And whether it is investors, board members, employees, uh, co-founders, mentors, whatever it is, by being in an absolute listening mode and questioning every intuitive thought that you might have or assumption that you held weeks prior, by being in listening mode, questioning those, you allow for depth perception. You you allow for the second vantage point. And maybe theirs is just as incorrect as yours isolatedly might be, but combined, that provides you the true perspective on what's going on. All right, founders and friends, today's episode is a special episode given everything that is happening in the public markets today and the downstream effects that are and have been over the last two, three weeks taking shape for Series B, Series C companies, and now trickling into the seed stage side of things. And it's a somewhat of an upheaval. It's not just turbulent. It looks like uh, it could be an economic upheaval of sorts that could last for the next who knows how long, but could easily last for the next 12, 18 months or longer. And given just the confluence of different things, factors that are creating this environment we're seeing right now. It is a very sobering time for I'm an investor in over 100 companies and I'm on phone call after phone call, email thread after another around just the severity of the situation for many founders, many leaders within companies right now. And it's something, it's an environment where if you're a large company, you largely can power through something like this. You're going to have direct changes, but you have you likely have significant revenues and there's going to be a flight to safety of talent towards uh, large, stable, seemingly safe technology companies. You have small business owners that have maniacally focused on profitability from day one, the food truck or the, the restaurant that because of their maniacal focus on profitability from day one, they largely will be able to revert to cost-cutting measure, measures that, um, that allow them to get to break even quite easily. The businesses that are going to be affected by this the most, the most vulnerable businesses, are the types of technology startups that I work with each day. And right now it feels like the walls are closing in on those companies that have not prioritized profitability in the first 12, 18, 24 months that have had to build spend years building out the software solution that they are now and have been selling that have been focusing on growth and not necessarily on revenue maximization. And those are the companies uh, in this entire market that are the most vulnerable. They are the ones that I am involved with. uh, And they are the listeners of this show largely create those types of companies and that feeling of the walls closing in 
is something that I know from personal experience. My last company, within three years, built it to a $400 million valuation. And then within two years after that, sold it in a fire sale to uh, an acquirer. And in that time, especially the last 18 months, it was so difficult to try to pivot the business, to try to find revenue generation in different parts of the business that didn't exist before. It felt oftentimes like trying to pull a rabbit out of a hat. And yet, when I really look back on it, I reflect on all the mistakes that I made when I felt like the walls were closing in. And so this post is, in this uh, this episode, is going to have three caveats and five bullets on what I wish I had done differently and what I see the best founders do. To manage the internal, this is a podcast dedicated to creator psychology. So managing your own internal psychology as well as the psychology of those around you, your team members, that is going to be one of the hardest parts and yet one of the most important parts to nail in an environment that is rapidly shifting. The caveats, the first caveat is do not feel like you need to do this alone. I made one of the biggest, if not the biggest mistake that I made was thinking, all right, I've got board members that I'm going to work through this with, but but the other angel investors, the other mentors that I that I have, uh, maybe uh, maybe I'll keep them at arm's length and not expose them to all of the troubles that we're going through. And in the past, you know, they really celebrated when we solved things. So I'm going to just try to solve this and then let them know the challenges that we went through and the solutions that got us out of those challenges. And then Three months of working on those challenges turned into four to five to six to eight. And that gap between their knowledge of the challenges I was dealing with and their and where I was, their ability to help me with their experience and where what I was going through just got bigger and bigger. And it got harder and harder to say, okay, I needed to reach out to person X or Y and, and give them the whole story and felt like, oh, let's just solve this and then I'll reach out. That lack of candor and openness with investors that I wanted to impress, that I didn't want them to see weakness. The board is is helpful, but especially any investors or mentors that have been builders before and or are builders, creators, they can be so much more helpful than you realize. In fact, it was after that hell for 18 months, that spell of depression, two layoffs, uh, suboptimal acquisition. It was after that that I got this chorus of support and some confusion from investors saying, man, I wish I had known more because I went through that in 2008. I went through that in 2002. I went through that three years ago. So the first caveat is do not go through this experience alone and do not try to be a super human superhero that's going to 
lift up the world on your own and show everybody, look, we solved it. It was felt dire at the time, but but we got through it. And here's the good news. The best investors, they get invigorated by the opportunity to help. We are, we are all wired to get energized by feeling useful. And the best investors, I feel invigorated when a company calls me and says, look, I think we're running into a wall. Uh, this shit is is going terribly. I don't know what to do about X. I feel like that's going to kill the company. When they call with that type of sentiment, most of the time there is, it's like a golf bag with five extra clubs that they don't even realize that they have. And through experience of building things for the last 15 years or investing in things for the last 10, people like that have the visibility of an awareness of, hey, you actually have three, four, five other golf clubs that you don't even realize you have. So let's use let's use a sand wedge here in this situation. And that's super simple. That we can solve that really easily. Here's what, here's how I, I think about it, or here's something that we could start to to work on together to get through it. The investors that will be disappointed in you for having challenges are not worth having a relationship with. To say that again, the investors that would be disappointed in you having challenges, even the challenges where you call and say, I royally fucked up. I did this five months ago and I should have done that. Whatever the circumstances are, the best investors are the ones that have the most awareness of they've seen the most. They're going to be more valuable. Anyhow, the worst investors are going to be the ones that freak out, that go into capital preservation mode and maybe are are disappointed and show that disappointment. But ultimately, if that's the if that is the the vibe you get from that investor, you're not going to want to maintain a, a relationship with them three, five, seven years down the road. So you might as well find that out sooner rather than later. The second caveat that I'll say is the sooner that you can get comfortable with the worst case scenario, the sooner all other cases become more likely. What I mean by that is if you can create space to go deep, like I'm saying like 15 sentences, 20 sentences, 30 sentences outlining this is the worst case scenario that could happen for my company in this scenario. This is the worst case. You write it down. And the reason I say go deep is really visualize all of it. Visualize what it would be like to shut down the business, to lose investor money, to lose confidence from team members, to feel like you're going to spend two years in the wilderness to rebuild your name or reputation. One that is so wrong because the best investors love, I love investing in founders, second time founders that have just failed in their previous startup because they basically just got a PhD in business. Not even, it's not even a homemade MBA. MBAs, an MBA doesn't teach you shit about building and starting a business. But 
it's on the ground experience in building a company. And it is like a PhD in business that you just got on sometimes someone else's dime. In my case, I had the same investors want to back me again. And that blew my mind at the time because I, I just thought like you might be thinking you're looking at years of trying to rebuild your name. But the truth is you stepped up to the plate startups, especially really any startup. It could be the food truck. It could be a new restaurant, but a startup has 90% chance of failure. You basically are with a technology startup. You are stepping up to the plate and you're saying, I'm going to either swing for a home run or I'm going to whiff massively. It is, you don't do that if you're taking on the least risky professional endeavor. You're essentially taking on the, the riskiest professional endeavor to start a technology startup. So if someone steps up and doesn't hit a home run, the person is not banished into the wilderness to go rebuild their name. If, if anything, you just became so much more valuable for any company that would hire you, even if Again, in that worst case scenario, you outline it and that might be a potential outcome. Take the time to really visualize that. Part of this caveat also is the best. some of the best advice that I ever got was from a mentor of mine, Jeff Jordan. He's maybe the best VC of the last 10 years. He was on the podcast several weeks ago. And he told me one time, six or seven years ago, he said, uh, you know what my superpower is? I can get over nearly anything in 24 hours. He said he could get over nearly anything in 24 hours. He had dealt with death early on in his life. He had dealt with career setbacks and and that it created this psychology that could get over anything in 24 hours. And, and after he told me that, I was like, wow, that does seem like a superpower. I wonder how long it takes me to get over any news. Obviously, bad news being the type of news you want to get over. And I realized that it was about 72 hours that I could adjust to any bad news. Now, I think it's it's much better than that. But back then, at 26, 27, I realized I can get over anything in about 72 hours. So as you outline this worst case scenario, get comfortable with that. If you can get comfortable with the worst case scenario, maybe you take 72 hours, all other cases become more likely. You put that, that visualization away once you're comfortable with it. You don't have to focus on it anymore. Do it for a few minutes over those 72 hours. Become comfortable with it. And then it is like this supernatural energy enters the equation where you're like, okay, the worst case scenario doesn't bother me that much. I'm comfortable with it. Now, I'm not freaking out about this territory in my mind I can't let myself go to. I'm not freaking out about this, this massive catastrophe that I haven't really understood isn't really a catastrophe. You think about it. You kind of survey it. You walk around that seemingly catastrophic outcome get a 360 degree look at it and you realize, oh, that's actually not that 
bad. No one's going to die. I'm going to be way more competent, seen as way more valuable in the marketplace. Then you put it aside and you say, okay, now I have all of this energy because I'm not worried about this worst case uh, scenario that I am willfully blind to. It is like any sports endeavor. If you go into it, not freaking out about a theoretical downside, it frees you up to just focus freely in flow, loosely, not rigidly, but loosely to get into the zone of whatever that sports endeavor is. This is very similar. You want to be loose in this environment. The third caveat is a story of my, my, my dad was in town recently and he took our four-year-old out uh, for breakfast and got her cookies. My grandfather's, uh, or her grandfather's, understandably trying to build a fast relationship with her and, and just thought it would be fun to give her uh, a few cookies um, during breakfast time. And that was about three or four days ago. And I reflect on that because as a child, she would want cookies all day long. As someone that cares about the long-term health of, of the individual, I would never give her cookies for breakfast, uh, lunch, or even dinner very frequently. And yet when it comes to our career, professional endeavors, we want cookies all the time. We want accolades, smooth sailing. We want achievement. We want things to, oftentimes, we want them to be easy. But that does not a healthy individual make. And your usefulness to yourself, to your family, to your community, to your company, to those around you, will actually depend far more on the nutritious experiences you go through rather than the fast and easy times that you see. So what you might be entering, where you feel like the walls might be closing in, this chapter might actually be the most beneficial to you, to those around you, to your future that you could imagine. And yet, it is so hard for us to imagine that but I can tell you from, from my own experience that it is. it was those times when I look back where my ability, my capabilities became 20 times more valuable to those around me by learning through those experiences. And having that experience six months, three years later, when I'm seeing that experience again, or learning from the mistakes that I made to not make those mistakes again and avoid whatever experience that I learned from. This is going to be 
this might be the the hardest professional time in your career to date, especially if you're a first-time founder. It is hard to imagine a harder professional challenge than potentially two, three, four years into building your company. You're already, and you have been burning it at both ends. Uh, just it exhausts me just thinking about how burned out I already was and yet felt like we're starting all over. And it feels like you have to start a brand new business in a challenging environment on the heels of the last two, three, four years where you have already been burning on both sides, where you may have dozens, maybe you've got hundreds of employees looking at you. Maybe it's a team of four. Whatever it is, you have these people that you care about looking at you for guidance in a world that is hard to navigate for anyone, especially a first-time founder. You're thinking about your own livelihood, the livelihoods of all the people to your left and, and right at the office, and a job that is known for its difficulty and isolation just got more difficult and seemingly more isolated. So those are the three caveats that I want to start this episode out with that do not isolate yourself further. The best investors love, truly wake up in the morning feeling invigorated when they're able to be useful. Same for all of us as humans. That is ultimately what we're wired to seek is to seek where we can be uniquely useful. Second is get comfortable with the worst case scenario and then all other scenarios become more likely. And third is this might end up being the most nutritious, likely will be the most nutritious, rewarding experience of your career. Might not feel like it a year later, 18 months later, but 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, you will look back and say, that was the most educational, rewarding, invaluable experience of maybe that decade in your life. Now on to the five bullets and, and guidelines of managing your own inner peace throughout this, as well as managing the psychologies of those around you and actually making the best possible scenario as likely as possible. Not just surviving or making it through, but you can actually turn this type of opportunity into gaining market share when other companies aren't winning in the midst of headwinds and use it as a career and company defining moment for you and your team, which has been the case for many of the category defining brands. For many people in their careers, they look back and say, wow, that tidal wave of unexpectedness presented so much opportunity in retrospect. So let's jump into it. The first one is assess and properly set expectations. This is so critical and this is why it's number one on this list. Assess and set proper expectations. 
assessing the situation, it means that you might need to say, okay, my optimism, sometimes blind optimism has been a strength in getting us to this point. In this new era, it is not going to be blind optimism that helps you through it. It's going to actually, as Shakespeare puts it, mismanaged expectation is the root of all heartache. You've got Tim Ferriss' equation of happiness is experience minus expectation. If you, ta- if you mismanage expectations with yourself and with the team in this scenario, it will get compoundingly worse. If you think right now is bad, a month from now with the wrong expectations, six months from now, with the wrong expectations, with it doesn't need to be pessimistic, pessimistic expectations, but you should think through and prepare for the most pessimistic scenario you can. Then from there, prepare for the next most and the next most and have three, four, five different realistic scenarios, none of which are optimistic, and prepare for each thinking through This is what we would do if these things happened. And honestly, one of the mistakes that I made tactically was not just not being realistic enough. We made uh, layoffs of about 25% of our staff, and it should have been 45% when I look back. It was actually so much harder for the group psychology to lay off people twice than it was to do it once. So... That assessing, there's so so little in this list will be generic. And this is not very specific because it's impossible to be specific in anyone's given scenario across an entire sector. But the generic part of this that will apply to everyone is assess and properly set expectations. The assessment is one thing and then setting them for the entire group, letting everyone know this is what will likely be needed will be required in this new environment. That is so liberating because once you, happiness is experienced minus expectation, when you set the expectation and maybe you set it low because you're erring on the side of uh, pessimism, not necessarily expecting it, but planning and erring on the side of it. When experience is above that, you end up with a, a net positive experience. You end up with a team that is happy in the midst of, of chaos. When you do not set expectations or misjudge the expectations and you keep people in the dark, that is the root of all heartache, as Shakespeare says. So that is the first guideline. The second guideline is find a higher ideal. Maybe you have been preaching this to date, but maybe like me, You also secretly were thinking about your own ego engineering, financial engineering, shortcut to building massive wealth by starting a company. All of that has to go out the window and self-preservation for you or even your company will not work as a group psychology. The group psychology has to be oriented around a higher ideal, whether it's the customers, whether it's the larger mission. That is the thing that when people orient around, not only resonates with the most amount of people that you're going to be rallying to, to be shoulder to shoulder through you through these challenging times. But it's also, that is the thing that for your own 
internal state. It's, it's wired within us to serve a cause larger than ourselves. This is not lip service to virtue. This is, a doctor was on the podcast recently, um, Dr. Molly Maloof, and she was saying that when we, if there's a donut in between us and I gave it to you, uh, my body would release oxytocin, a neuro, the neurochemical that tells us we're safe. That generosity has this inner this inner reaction that tells me I'm safe. She said the opposite is also true, that if I take the donut, that my body will release uh, vasopressin, the neurochemical that tells me that I should be fearful. When we take, our body tells us to be fearful. When we give, our body tells us we're safe. You are going to have so many thoughts in your head wondering how this will look for you, how you will survive this career-wise on the other side. Some with mental health issues like myself years ago will be thinking through many darker thoughts than that. But that thought process is one thing. The actions that then orient you to self-preservation is it is a, like a natural law. It will tell you to be more and more fearful. When you tap into the power of orienting towards a higher ideal, whether that is the service of your customers, the larger mission or vision that you have before you as a team, it's not only going to map to your own neurocircuitry. It is going to be the most powerful. And the, again, this is not a mission is going to uh, is going to rally the the troops around around the cause because it sounds good or it's marketing speak. This is how you are wired and how the team around you is naturally wired. And the opposite, like I said, is true. When you operate in self preservation, the company will die if we don't do X, or if you in your head are thinking through. If we don't make it through, this is what's going to happen to me. I need to carve out this. I need to make sure that I'm at least safe. And this or that scenario, that is antithetical to your own well-being, the well-being you're ostensibly trying to protect. The third guideline to optimally manage a situation where you feel like the walls are closing in is to manage your mental wealth. I wrote... An essay is by far the most read essay that uh, I've posted on my blog called Mental Wealth, and it's on this topic. But the five areas within it are sleep, diet, exercise, stress management, and exogenous compounds, things like chugging too much coffee. And the thing that I will call out with each, to where you don't have to read the post, um, is that your mental wealth right now, not just your mental health and thinking about it when something goes wrong, which is conventionally how we think about mental health, but your mental wealth, like investing in a skill, your finances, investing in a relationship, it's a constant investment, not something you pay attention to when you need it. And in that vein, there's five areas in which I think you can manage your mental wealth, invest in that mental wealth, uh, in any scenario, but most uh, importantly, in a demanding scenario 
that you might be in right now professionally. First is sleep, and the pro tip for each of these is real simple. First is wake up every morning at the same exact time. That sets your body in a 24-hour circadian rhythm that then releases cortisol to wake you up naturally. You know, After nine days, you just start waking up naturally. Um, it uh, releases melatonin internally for you to fall asleep at the right time. You get on an actual uh, biological rhythm. And within 20 to 30 minutes of waking up, boom, you're ready to uh, be dialed in for the day versus spending two or three hours trying to wake up because you're throwing your body for a loop of waking up at 6.30 one morning, 9.30, 11 on the weekends. Find that time that is the right time for you to wake up every morning at that time, and your body will thank you. Um, If you need to, and you need to reset the time of going to bed, I am... I am an anti-fan of melatonin, um, especially three grams or five grams of melatonin, but I am a major fan of micrograms of melatonin for two or three days to reset. You take it two, three, two or three hours before you want to go to bed, micrograms, 300 micrograms. You can find it on Amazon, super easy to find. And that can reset the time that you go to bed, especially if you're traveling and you get back. I use it probably, you know, surgically three or four times a year when I want to reset the time that I'm going to bed and it works wonders for that sleep, which is, that is the foundational pillar of mental wealth. The second is diet right now. Maybe don't drink alcohol. The pro tip there is two drinks, two servings of alcohol before you go to bed for a male will decrease your sleep by 23%. A third serving will decrease it by nearly 40%. You'll basically have the quality of your sleep by going out and getting three drinks with friends. It is, and it laddered, all of these ladder up to the foundation before it. It also will spike your cortisol the next day, in addition to, to uh, really depleting the quality of your sleep. Maybe right now is a time where you say, you know what, for 30 days I'm going to give it up and see how that helps you during this dynamic time. The pro tip for exercise is three sessions of intense aerobic exercise a week. It is it is your body's your body's own natural anti-inflammatory uh, antidepressant. It is mood boosting. It is so great for just your current like that day's mental attitude. It's not like I'm not building a strength program for you uh, to exercise over the next six months for results you'll see down the road. This is like right now. You can pause this episode, go for a 20 minute run, really exhaust yourself, and you are going to feel great. In the hours that follow. The third, uh, the fourth bucket is around stress management. Feel free to, to Google 478 breathing. It's one of the best breathing techniques to decrease cortisol naturally, to relax you. It takes You could do that twice a day uh, for a minute each, 478 breathing. It's phenomenal. I actually recommend that way more than uh, I recommend almost any other stress management technique. The fourth bucket is, uh, the fifth bucket is around exogenous compounds. And sounds fancy, but basically chugging three, four, five, six cups of coffee right now, spiking your cortisol, your body stress hormone, and is actually leading to very suboptimal psychology and internal state. So the pro tip there is just... Be very aware of the caffeine that you're taking in, especially after 2 p.m., ideally not after noon or 1 p.m., 
so that it, you, you actually, there's a quarter life of that caffeine for 10 hours. So you drink a Starbucks coffee, which has a lot of caffeine, by the way, more than, more than most coffees at two or 3 PM, 10 hours later, a quarter of that caffeine is still in your system. So that is the pro tip on exogenous compounds. Obviously, um, I'm founder of Magic Mind, so there's a whole lot in the nootropics, adaptogen space. Um, maybe a sidebar pro tip would be something like ashwagandha um, is great for naturally decreasing stress in a highly stressful time. Um, but this is not a commercial for that. Um, the biggest pro tip, honestly, is in your caffeine intake. That's the first three guidelines. The fourth is around question everything, especially your assumptions. Your assumptions and, and what has gotten you in a bull market to this place might be the worst assumptions possible in the next phase of this company, in the next phase of your career. We talked about resetting expectations. Question everything. This is an ongoing process, questioning things constantly. There is a new normal that's being set, and the new normal is rapid change week to week. So the new normal is more change than you probably have experienced in the recent months and years that you've been building your business. By questioning your assumptions and questioning everything, externally, internally, not only will steal your own resolve because you will be comfortable questioning all of these things instead of blindly sticking to things. But that questioning then turns into listening. And that listening is going to open the doors for all kinds of insight that many of the headstrong founders that don't want to listen, um, that are which are, are blind to, it allows for new insights to be brought your way. And that questioning of everything, especially your own assumptions, allows for, think of it like depth perception. To see something with depth perception, we need both of our eyes. You need two vantage points to get a sense of perspective. Similarly, for a founder, you are so close to the metal, to the fire of, of what you're building, that you might be missing perspective. And whether it is investors, board members, employees, uh, co-founders, mentors, whatever it is, by being in an absolute listening mode and questioning every intu intuitive thought that you might have or assumption that you held weeks prior, by being in listening mode, questioning those, you allow for depth perception. You, you allow for the second vantage point. And maybe theirs is just as incorrect as yours isolatedly might be, but combined, that provides you the true perspective on what's going on. So this is an ongoing practice of questioning everything, especially your own assumptions. That's going to be a super skill in a rapidly changing, a continually rapidly changing environment that's likely going to take place over the next several months. Fifth and last. Fifth and the last guideline to manage your own internal state as well as the state of the team around you is to find community and truth. It might start with one person that you can be honest with about everything. And they might not even be 
a business or a strategically minded individual, but finding that person that you can be honest with. And ultimately, that person then helping you get perspective on things, get things think out loud. You can see those benefits and then maybe find a second person, a third person, a fourth person. And you and those three other, four other people can form this community and truth. You will tell yourself what you're going through is isolated to you. You will say it's because of this market we're in or this stage of the company we're in or this mistake I fucked up on. 12 months ago, no one's in this scenario that I'm in. And that is bullshit. There are going to be several people that you have email addresses, phone numbers of, that you might be meeting with later today that will be going through what you're going through. Not only is it beneficial for them to hear your candor, the truth of what you're going through. But it allows for this this place, these relationships that you can go to again and again and again where you can be honest. This is slightly different than questioning everything or listening because at the end of the day, this is informing a group and getting their feedback. This is the talking part. This is the thinking out loud part. But most critically, this is the thinking out loud part with a community of people that can handle all of the bad news that you think is so bad, it's going to make people run for the hills. Find the people that don't run for the hills that almost smile because they're going through the same thing or because they went through it 18 months, 10 years ago. And they know that it's not nearly as bad as you might think it is. So those are the guidelines. And I remember someone really smart telling me, almost anyone with a good head on their shoulders can handle bad news. But no one likes surprises. The benefit of this hyper-connected world we live in, this hyper-informed world we live in, is that your employees, your investors, your advisors, they're more informed as a network around you than they ever have been. That employee base that you think might freak out because of layoffs or might peace out from the mission because you've hit headwinds. I remember thinking that, and it wasn't the case. After our layoffs, we had two people voluntarily leave, but because we had to do a second round, then more people left after that, Maybe three or four left after that second round. But for the most part, 90% were energized by a team willing to do and make the hard decisions and a team orienting around that higher ideal, even in the face of immense headwinds. And the employee base today is even more informed. You might actually energize You might re-recruit your your best employees by making these hard decisions. You likely will, to be honest. You're also going to have, like I touched on, immense new opportunities to take market share, 
against companies that don't act swiftly, that hesitate, that are scared of these worst case scenarios that they refuse to outline in their heads and therefore paralyzes them. You're also going to benefit from just one of the most rewarding challenges in your life because it is going to test nearly every part of you. And if you adhere to these guidelines and these caveats, this can be one of the most fruitful times in your company's life where you're not only better for it, but the world is too. The last two things I'll I'll leave you with are, one, how you do this, how you execute through this is going to be a very defining part of whatever new phase your company or your career is entering. If you do it making mistakes along the way, but you do it with integrity, you are golden. Because like I said, everyone knows everyone that matters. As they say, to those that care, it doesn't matter. And to those that matter, they don't care. They'll care if you lose your integrity along the way. But I can't stress this enough. If you fail, but you failed with integrity, doing the right things in the right way at the right time, as Warren Buffett puts it, in the fight between a great team and a dog market, the dog market is going to win. Sometimes startups just fail because of things out of your control. In fact, that is often the case. That is like stepping up and not hitting a home run. That's okay. And like I said, there are investors, many of the best investors love backing founders that just learned a whole lot of lessons on how to do it right from doing it wrong. But if you do it with integrity, then you will be more competent, more valuable to anyone that you're interacting with in a professional or honestly, a human way. The last thing is a story that I think about pretty often, especially when I have these strong emotions or feelings that I'm not sure if they really, if they really relate to reality. About nine years ago, I was diagnosed with listeners of the podcast. know I was diagnosed with a heart condition from to excess stress and and from drinking six seven cups of coffee a day. And went to the doctor, went to the ER, got got it largely fixed and under control. But six months later, I went back to my heart doctor and I said, Doc my heart is feeling like it's still in in atrial fibrillation and it's still in an irregular heartbeat. He said, okay, well, let's run the tests and and let's see. Ran the tests and came back about 15 minutes later after reviewing the test results. And he said, everything looks good. And I said, something feels off though. It just feels like I'm in, I'm back in an irregular heartbeat. And this dry, deadpan tone. He said, it might feel that way, but it's not that way. It might feel that way, but it's not that way. My heart goes out to every founder that is out there 
struggling internally with this new environment, with having to climb what can feel like Everest on top of (laughs) what already felt like climbing Everest just to get to this new base camp. Like I previously said, we are wired to be useful to those around us. That is our highest calling, to find where we can be useful to those around us. And in the face of this new challenge, if you can approach it with these guidelines, not only are you going to maximize the potential of thriving in this new environment, but by going head on into this environment, into the next set of challenges before you, no matter what happens, you're about to become much more useful to yourself and to the world at large. 